Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 12 once again. Last week we started getting into verse 2, which really contains two main issues. The first one we looked at last Sunday, which is what it means to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because it's going to help the message today make a whole lot more sense. Today we're going to look at uh, the other issue in verse 2, which is knowing God's will. And just like last week, we're going to read verses 1 and 2 because this is really one continuous thought that Paul is making here. And verses 1 and 2 really shouldn't be read or viewed as mutually exclusive verses, but each one has absolutely everything to do with the other. So let's stand one more time in honor of God's word and read the writing of Paul here. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for your word and ask again, Lord, that your truth would just penetrate into our hearts and it would, would renew our minds. And God, I just think it's so neat how we are talking about being renewed and transformed. And while we're at that time of the year where all around us we see your nature being renewed and transformed into the beautiful colors of spring. And so God, I pray that what happens on the inside of our hearts and in our minds this morning would just... Um, God, just mimic what we see going around us in nature. Let there be a true transformation and a renewal that you may be glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The will of God. It's probably the one thing that most Christians would say that they would want to know more than anything else in this world. And I'm always hearing people say, I want to know what God's will for me is, whether it's for my life or whether it's for some decision I'm trying to make. Everybody's wanting to know what God's will is. And like I mentioned last week, it's one of those phrases that we say a lot, and many times I think we're saying it without really knowing what it is that we're talking about, what that means, the will of God. You know, we tend to do that often with these spiritual-sounding phrases and words that we pick up when we've been in church for any extended amount of times. A lot of times we don't even know what these things mean, but they make us sound spiritual, and so we start saying them too. Or it's just a habitual thing that we pick up from being around it long enough. It's just like anything else that we start saying subconsciously, just because we've kind of been around it and absorbed in that, and it's not even really thinking about it. You know, my sister and her family, they live in the Dallas area in Flower Mound, and you probably noticed that um, people in the Dallas suburbs don't talk exactly like people here in East Texas do. And so... (laughs) And so my my sister, when they come to visit for a few days and her kids are around my kids, her kids will go back to Dallas and their friends will tell them that they, why are y'all talking like a bunch of hicks? It's because they've been around their country cousins for a few days. But it works the other way too. My kids go up there and visit their cousins. They'll come back talking completely different. I mean, sound like, like, she was like, and you would just, oh my gosh, and... (laughs) 
And that's just Braden. You should hear my girls. When <laughs> I'm kidding, bud. <laughs> so that's what we do. We just start picking up on language that we've been around long enough subconsciously. And sometimes God's will, the will of God, seems to be one of those phrases that we can, we can do that way. The context of God's will in this instance is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the aim of these two verses is that all of life would be an act of spiritual worship to God. The aim of all human life from God's eyes is that Jesus would be made to look as valuable as he really is. Worship means using our bodies, our heart, our mind to express the worth of God and all that he is for us in Christ. Romans chapter 12 tells us that there is a way to live that does this. There is a way to do your job that expresses the value of God. There is a way to love your spouse that expresses the value of God. Young people, there is a way to obey your parents that expresses the value of God. Even in the way we eat and drink, we can do that and express how much and how worthy God is to us in Christ. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether even it's eating or drinking, do it all to the glory of God. Of God, express how much He is worth to you in everything that you do. Verse 2 is Paul's answer to how to turn all of life into an act of worship to God. And he says, We must be transformed, not just by our external behavior, but how we feel, how we think, by our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So today we focus on the next part, part of verse 2, which is the aim or the goal of the renewed mind. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here comes the goal of this renewal, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so our focus this morning is on the will of God and how to discern it. You know, one of the big questions that people often wrestle with and debate is the question, can our free will as humans trump God's will? And how you answer that question will determine how you interpret a lot of issues in the Bible. And to be able to answer that question accurately, we first must understand that there are two very clear and very different meanings of the term the will of God in the Bible. And so we need to know them and decide which one is being used here in Romans 12 too. One of those, these are in your notes there, one of them is what we might call his will of command. And God's will of command can most definitely, it can be overcome by human will. For instance, we know that it is God's will that we don't kill each other. We know it's his will that we don't lie, that we don't cheat on our spouse. God's will of command for our life is best revealed in the Ten Commandments. But does his will in these instances always come to pass in these areas? Of course not. They're broken every day. 
Let's look at just a, a few scriptures that specifically mention God's will and how these are examples of his will of command. They'll be up on the screen, and I believe the references are there in your notes. The first one is First, Thess- first Thessalonians 4.3. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Here we have a specific instance where God's revealed will for our lives is holiness and sexual purity. But oh, how so many disobey that. And so his will, at least in this area, is overcome time after time by our own free human will. Another one is 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you give thanks to God in everything? Do you give thanks when the money runs out before the month does and you still got bills to pay? Are you giving thanks when the doctor gives you some horrific news? If not, why? I mean, God says that's his will for you, to give thanks in everything, not just in the good things that happen, but also in the bad. All things means all things. But we don't always do that because our human will can trump God's will of command here. One more example. 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Not everyone lives forever. Some do, some don't. The difference, some do the will of God and some don't. God's will in this case doesn't always happen because it can be trumped by human will. So that's God's will of command. The other will of God is what we could call his will of decree or his sovereign will. This is something that cannot be overcome by human will. When God decrees something, it happens. When he decreed, let there be light, the light had no other choice but to just appear because God decreed it. A good example of his will of decree is Isaiah fifty-five eleven, where God says, my word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. His will of decree, what God decrees is going to come about. One of the clearest examples of this is in the way that Jesus spoke of the Father's will when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Knowing that the time had come for him to be the one to absorb God's wrath for sin... In place of us, he said this in Matthew 26, 39. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What is the will of God in in this instance? It's God's sovereign plan for the redemption of mankind that existed long before the earth was even created. So the will of God was for Jesus to die. That was God's plan, his decree that his son would come to earth and die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus' mission did not have a chance of not being fulfilled. 
Not a chance. Because it was decreed, God decreed that that would happen long before the foundations of the world were even laid. And so Jesus bowed his head and said, Father, this is my request, but you do what you see is best. Saying, this is my will as a human, but I submit that to your sovereign will. Another example of God's will of decree is Daniel 4.35, which says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? So from these and many other texts in the Bible, we can conclude that there are two ways of talking about the will of God. Both are true and important for us to understand and believe. His will of decree will always come to pass whether you believe it or not. But his will of command can be broken and it is every day. Now before I relate this to the text at hand, I want to talk about just how precious these truths are and how good it is for us to see this and believe it. Both of these wills of God correspond to deep needs that we all have when we are deeply hurt and when we experience great loss. On one hand, we need the assurance that God is in control and he is able to work all of my pain and my loss together for good and for the good of those who love him, according to Romans 8.28. But on the other hand, we need to know that God empathizes with us and does not delight in our pain and our loss in and of themselves. And so these two needs of ours correspond to God's will of decree and his will of command. For example, if you are abused as a child... And someone asks you, do you think it was God's will that that happened to you? You now have a way to make some biblical sense out of this and and give an answer that does not run in conflict with God's word. You could say, no, it was not his will because he commands that humans not be abusive, but that they love one another. The abuse broke his command and therefore moved his heart to anger and grief. But in another sense, there are a hundred ways that he could have prevented that. But for reasons I don't fully understand, he didn't. But I do know that he is using it to accomplish his sovereign will that he decreed over my life before I was even born, and I trust him. See, in that situation, you need a God who is strong and sovereign enough to turn that horrific event into good. And you also need a God who is is able to empathize with you when you hurt. And he does. Okay, so which of these is being talked about in Romans 12 too? The answer, I believe, has to be it's God's will of command. And I say that for two reasons. One is that God does not intend for us to know his sovereign will of decree ahead of time. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. God usually does not reveal his sovereign will of decree that he has planned for the future. Listen, 
If you want to know the future details of God's will of decree for your life, you don't want a renewed mind. You want a crystal ball. This is not called transformation and obedience and trust. It's called divination and soothsaying. But it's the quick answer that many of us are always trying to look for. The other reason I say that this is God's will of command is because of the phrase, so that you may prove. Other translations say that by testing you may discern. It implies that it is something that we need to obey. Obedience involves the submission of our human will to God's will. And here's the goal of this verse. The next point in your notes. The goal of verse 2 is not figuring out the secret will of what God plans to do but discerning the revealed will of what we ought to do. Remember last week I said that true transformation is when what we want to do is what we ought to do. Now there are really three stages of knowing and doing the will of God. And all three require the renewed mind that we talked about last week. And each of these stages corresponds to and reflects different stages in our own spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And these are found in your notes. The first one, stage one, is simply God's will that is revealed in the Bible. And we need a renewed mind to embrace and understand what God has revealed to us in His Word Without it, we will distort Scripture and avoid their intended benefit of complete joy and complete satisfaction in Christ alone. God's authoritative will of command is found only in the Bible. And folks, this is very important for you to know. Listen to me. God's will will never run in conflict with His Word. Never. I don't care how strongly you sense that God is saying something to you or wanting you to do something. If it goes against his word, it's not his will. Plain and simple. And this is one of those instances where we just throw around God's will whenever we want to without really understanding what it is that we're talking about. And I want you to hear me when I say that you have to be careful to not claim something as God's will when in reality it's your own, own human will. It's really just the will of your flesh. I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken to and counseled have come to me claiming that some decision that they have made that they know for a fact is God's will for their life, even though that I point out that in Scripture it goes completely against that. That that doesn't line up with, God, with, with what God has revealed to you in Scripture. For some reason, they still refuse to accept that. As if what's in their heart overrides what's in God's Word. It's a very dangerous thing to do. And this is why it is imperative, church, to read and study and meditate on and know God's Word. It's imperative. The reason why is the next point. You will not know for sure what God's will for your life is if you don't know his word. Plain and simple. There is no way around that. 
Everyone's always wanting to know what God's will for their life is, but it seems that not many are willing to do what it takes to know what His will for your life is, which is sitting down and getting to know His Word. Because that's where it is. I would say that at least 95% of God's specific will for your life is found right here in Scripture. Get to know it. I said last week that I believe Satan is just absolutely giddy about how busy we make our lives these days. Most of us find that we're just too busy to make any time to, 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 to study and read God's Word. And so we're left living lives of like we're just being tossed in the wind with no clear direction, always wondering, oh, what is God's will for my life when it's right here in front of us? Make time to read the Bible. Speaking of that, this coming Wednesday in our B3 class in the Fellowship Hall, we're going to start learning how to read the Bible correctly in a way where it's not just boring words like you're reading an owner's manual or a textbook, but in a way that it comes alive, in a way that I believe God intended for his word to be read. So come, if you're interested in knowing how to read God's word the right way, come on Wednesday nights. It's going to be great. Now, the reason why I don't say that 100% of God's will for you is found in the Bible is because of the next two stages. They cover the other 5%, but have absolutely everything to do with stage one, with God's revealed will in Scripture. Stage two is the application of biblical truth to situations that may not be addressed in the Bible. You know, the Bible is not going to tell you which person to marry. It's not going to tell you what car to buy. It's not going to tell you even what candidate to vote for or a thousand other decisions that you have to make every day. And so what becomes necessary is that we have a renewed mind that is so governed by the revealed will of God in the Bible that we were able to make these decisions with the mind of Christ and make them in line with what God's will is. For example, you often hear people talk about the one person, that one person that God has for you to marry. And I know that sounds so romantic, but people, that is so unbiblical. (laughs) It is. And it can be dangerous because some might drive themselves absolutely crazy worrying whether or not they are going to find that one person that God has for them. Where, oh, I wonder if I settle for something less. What if I miss him? I mean, I've got to find the right one. You can drive yourself insane worrying about that. And where I've really seen that doctrine or that belief in the one go south is when marital problems arise and one of them will say, well, I know it's God's will for me to leave because this obviously isn't the one that he had for me. And so now I've got to go find the one. That ain't how it works, y'all. I'm sorry. That is not how it works. God does not lock us into one person and then go, good luck finding them. I know what it is. I hope you find them. He doesn't work like that. He actually does something much better, much more loving, and much more freeing. He gives us his word as a standard to go by. And he gives us the qualifications for us to look for in a mate. And then he says, based on what I have revealed to you in your word, look at all these gorgeous choices. Now take your pick. 
And that's exactly how we make all the decisions that we face every day that may not be specifically addressed in his word. We make them based on the standard that he gives us. And this is very different from constantly trying to hear God's voice saying, do this, don't do that, turn right here, go left there. You know, I've known people, and I'm sure that you have too, that it seems like they can't even take a step without first praying about it and trying to decide what God's will for them is as to which foot they should start with first. They cannot make decisions in life because they are so paranoid that they want to know for sure exactly what God's will is. How many things on to which brand of orange juice to buy? They're so neurotic about things like that. And then they beat themselves up with guilt thinking that they're being punished because God's not telling them exactly what he wants them to do in every decision that they have to make. My gosh, what a miserable way to live. And a person who lives their life like that is not living it in sync with Romans 12 too. Not at all. Wanting to always know what God's specific will for your future is, whether it's 20 years from now or whether it's two minutes from now, is divination. And divination doesn't require transformation. God's aim is a renewed mind that is able to make decisions that have been filtered through this new way of thinking, this transformed mindset that he has given us from the Holy Spirit working from the outside in and the inside out, like we talked about last week. It's a renewed way of thinking, not just new information. And so as you're probably beginning to see that these stages, like I said, mark different levels of our spiritual growth, our spiritual maturity. A brand new Christian, at first, all they're going to have to go by is the revealed will of God in the Bible. And then as they read this and get to know more of God's word and their minds begin to get renewed and they start knowing how to make certain decisions on a daily basis because of the way it lines up with what they've been reading in Scripture. And then as we grow even more into the knowledge of Christ and his word, we move into stage three. The third stage of proving what the will of God is, is the vast majority of living that we do every day. It's where there is no conscious thought before we act. If I said that 95% of God's will for your life is found in the Bible, I'd say that 95% of your behavior is not premeditated. Most of our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions are just spontaneous. And what that means is the next thing in your notes, it is just spillover from what's inside. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings forth out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. You probably heard the the phrase before. I think I've used it in a sermon that you always know what somebody is filled up with because it's what spills out every time they get bumped in life. This is what this is talking about here. Now, why would this be included in God's will of command? For one reason. Because God commands things like don't be prideful, don't be contentious, don't be arrogant and boastful, don't be anxious and fearful, don't covet or be jealous. 
These are things that rise up out of the heart without us even thinking about them. And this is why I always say that the goal of Christianity is not to stop sinning. The goal is to know Jesus. The more we get to know Jesus, the more sin begins to lose its appeal. The more we get to know him, the more the spillover of our life reflects him and his will. It is no wonder then why there is one great task in the Christian life. A task that we can actually join the Holy Spirit in doing. And that is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is what God calls you to do. And you cannot do it on your own. You need Jesus who died for your sins. You need the Holy Spirit to lead you to Christ-exalting truth and to work in you Christ-embracing humility. In order to join him in his work, we've got to do what I warned you about last week. And that is being very careful about what we are allowing our minds to be exposed to. I'll tell you, after preparing last week's sermon, God really spoke to me in that and convicted me of some things. And so this past week, I decided to be more mindful, more intentional about what I was allowing my mind to be exposed to and and discerning whether it was more Christ-exalting truth or, or not. You know, contrary to what I think a lot of people might assume, A preacher doesn't have his radio on Christian music 24 hours a day. At least this one doesn't. (laughs) We don't have our televisions on Christian programming all the time. I enjoy a wide variety of music, and so I listen to a wide variety of music. But after last week's message, I began to, to start paying attention more to the things I was listening to, what my mind was being exposed to. Trying to discern whether the Holy Spirit was actually trying to lead me to Christ-exalting truth, and I was avoiding that in some way. And so I started listening to more Christ-exalting music where I might not have before and being mindful about what I'm watching on TV and different things. And I'll tell you, this week I, I noticed a difference. I noticed a difference in my attitude and my thought life. I had more clarity and some decisions that I had to make. I mean, it's crazy, but this stuff actually works. <laughs> Go figure, huh? God actually knew what he was talking about. And so I encourage you to be intentional about the renewing of your mind. Follow the Holy Spirit as he leads you to Christ's exalting truth, whether it's through the music you listen to, the, the, the things that you watch or the things that you read, and the people that you surround yourself with. Are the people that you spend the majority of your time around, are they speaking Christ's exalting truth into you? Because if they're not... That's going to have an effect on on how your mind is renewed, at what rate it is being renewed at, and how you are living out the, the, the spillover of your life. But most importantly, I would say make time to read God's Word. Seriously. It's the most important thing I believe that you can do. Spend more time in prayer and listening to God. Get in on what God is trying to do in your life. Because, folks, I'm telling you right now, if you want to know God's will, this is it. His will is that you be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And Lord, I thank you that the Christian life that you have saved us to, that you have called us to, is not complicated, even though we do a pretty good job of overcomplicating things. But Lord, it is simple. It's just to submit our will to yours. God, you've given us the most powerful thing, tangible thing that I believe that we could possess on this earth, and that is your written word. That is the revelation of your truth. Lord, it has the power to renew our minds, to transform our complete mindset and change the way we view everything, the way that we make decisions. And so, God, What I am praying for right now in this church body is that you would birth a hunger for your word like this church has never had before. God, that there will be a craving for your word. That when we read it, we can't get enough of it. Lord, that our desire for for knowing you and your word would override our desires for all the petty things in this world that we put at the top of our priority list. And so, Lord, we just confess right now that what is important to you has not been important to us. So, Lord, we confess that. We repent. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin working inside of us. Breaking our hearts. Giving us the humility that we need to be able to embrace the Christ-exalting truth that you are leading to us on the outside. God, I pray for a church body, renewed minds. Those who truly know you. God, that we don't have to live in fear, wondering what we should do. But we are so close to and so full of the knowledge of you. God, what we should do, what we're supposed to, is just a natural result of the life that we live in you. God, I know that's what you desire for us. And so I pray that that would begin this morning. God, I pray for a revival. A revival of renewed minds. A revival of those who know what your will is and are submitted to it. God, I know great things are going to come out of that. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now and just do the work among us and in us that you wish to do in the remainder of this time? Jesus, would you be glorified? We love you so much. We thank you for giving us the tools that we need to know you. Thank you for giving us the grace and the revelation of who you are. Lord, let us not take advantage advantage or or take it for granted but take advantage of it but we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Jesus name amen we are going to be singing now some Christ exalting